We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Second Chronicles 29, as this evening we begin the study of God's work in and through a man by the name of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is the 14th king of Judah. He was actually co-regent with his father Ahaz uh, in the year 728 B.C. And so um, as you study his life, you'll find that he became the sole king of Judah in the year 1715 B.C., 715 B.C. And so we're going to see that uh, he was a king for a total of 42 years but 29 of those years as sole sovereign ruler over Judah. And so um, Hezekiah, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, his name uh, means Yahweh is my strength. And based upon his life, you guys are going to see, he really did allow the Lord to be his strength. He, he was a contemporary of Isaiah, and together we're going to see as we go through his life that they made an awesome tag team. And so look what we read, Second uh, Chronicles 29 and verse 1. It says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. And so... Uh, 25 years old when he became king, when he became the sole ruler of Judah. And so that actually means he began to be co-regent with his father Ahaz. Think about that at the age of 12. And so for, you know, 13 years, he was reigning together with his father Ahaz, who was a terrible king, one of the most wicked kings. But then for the last 29 years, uh, God raised him up. And we're going to see God used his life in a tremendous way. You know, and it's kind of a trip. You know, Ahaz was a bad father, and then his son uh, became a godly man. And then we're going to see then uh, Hezekiah had a son named Manasseh, who ended up being the worst king in the southern kingdom of Judah out of all of them. And so it's an absolute miracle that this guy, Hezekiah, turned out so deeply in love with the Lord. Again, not a perfect man, but like his ancestor, it says right there, David, generally speaking, and overall, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. You know, and, and you guys, what's going to be the summary of your life one day when we stand before the Lord? You know, what's he going to say when he kind of summarizes the whole thing, you know? Um, again, none of us here are perfect. I don't know if you are related to me. I think we all are because we all came from the Adams family, right? All of us here, we're all struggling. We all find ourselves struggling. But you know what? We have an ancestor in one sense. It's, uh, it's David. David is symbolic of Jesus. We have his blood. We have his blood that washes away our sins. And we have his blood that gives us the capacity to live not a perfect life, but a proper life, a life of victory. And so it's kind of cool when you look at the kings, they're all compared to David. And here comes a man named Hezekiah who was like David. My prayer is that for us, we would liken ourselves, we compare ourselves to Jesus. And I want to tell you guys something. It doesn't matter who you are, young, old, you know, wretched, drug addict, prison record, you know, clean, squeaky. It doesn't matter. 
all of us here, when we decide to have a heart, to, to allow the Lord to conform us into his image and make us like Jesus, I'm telling you this, man, and I, and I believe this with all my heart, he can use every single person here to change our nation to change the family, the ministry, the city, the society, wherever the sphere of influence is that he has for you. Just like Hezekiah was used by God to bring revival, I believe with all my heart that when God finds somebody who is sold out and surrendered and completely committed, who believes by faith in the power of the cross and the blood and, and the Holy Spirit is so personal and they're sensitive to him, I really believe and I'm trying to convince you and myself that God can change the world. You know, we're living in a world that's changing rather rapidly. We need a revival. And if you want to know how revival takes place, uh, study the life of Hezekiah. Do you guys remember what his name means? Yahweh is my strength. Remember that. Yahweh is my strength. If you want, and I want to encourage you guys to turn back to 2 Kings chapter 18. Because I want you to look at these verses. You know, uh, Kings, we have the account. And uh, in verse 5, it, it gives us a synopsis of his life. It's, look at what it says. It says, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. Now, some of you guys right now, what happened was you're, you were daydreaming. You were thinking about your In-N-Out cheeseburger that you're going to have afterwards, or you're thinking about your problems. So let's reread that verse. Concentrate. Concentrate. Look what he says. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him, among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. I mean, this guy was so, so unique, so special. His trust was so deep that there was none like him before, neither was there any like him after. He trusted in the Lord. It says in the next verse that he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. I mean, it's so cool when you read the synopsis of his life. And he was like David. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. I mean, he trusted in the Lord. And I want to ask you guys a question tonight. Do you trust in the Lord? You know, do you really trust him? Trust is defined as a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. In this case, it's a someone. And that someone is the Lord. Do you know that you can trust him? And so some will say, well, of course, Manny, I know. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Right, And you know how to quote the verse. That's not really what's important. What's important is whether or not we're standing on that truth. I can trust the Lord. I can trust Him with my family. I can trust Him with my children. I can trust Him with my finances, my physical health, my, my, the ministry that I'm involved in, my life. I can give Him my life and know that He will lead me in ways that are right. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I will trust him. 
You know, I talked to people, and today I was talking to a guy, and the Lord's just doing such a tremendous work in his life, but he doesn't have any feelings. He can't feel it. You know, when I first became a Christian, I felt it. I felt it from head to toe. I felt the tingles, the Holy Spirit tingles. You guys ever felt that, man? And it's pretty cool. But what happens when those feelings go away? Will you still follow the Lord by faith, objectively, truth, because God loves you, He died for you, we're going to go to heaven or hell. Will you follow Him not by feelings, but just by faith? You see, that happens when we trust the Lord. You guys, I don't know if you're all in, but if you're not, let tonight be the night you're all in. I'm all yours, God, because I can trust my life into your hands. Have you guys ever played that game? I don't know. Um, we should probably do it, right? Matthew, come here for a second. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Have you guys ever done that, that game where you got some person back there and then you're right here and then you kind of fall into their arms? Have you guys ever done that? We should have Henry and Matthew do that right now, huh? <laughs> And what do you got to do? When you're falling, you got to trust the person who's going to catch you. You know, and you got to walk by faith, you know, and that's the, the thing with the Lord. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you my life. And there's a certain vulnerability about that, and there's certain challenges in that, but that's okay because you can trust Him. I mean, His timing is perfect. The, the, the job, the, the marriage, the situation, the ministry, everything about your life is perfect. But what ends up happening is when we don't trust the Lord, we compromise. And we start making decisions that, you know, I'm going to start, you know, getting my hands into it. And I'm going to take the bull by the horns. And God said, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey. And that's what happened with Hezekiah. He trusted. And we need to have that same heart to trust the Lord no matter what we're facing today or we will face tomorrow. My prayer is that you would be encouraged to know that you can trust the Lord. One guy said, all I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. Another person said, the more we depend on God, the more dependable we will discover that He is. Remember, you guys, trust is a must. And like Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Back in Second Chronicles, that's who Hezekiah was, we saw in Kings. He trusted in the Lord, so watch what he does. In verse 3, it says, In the year of his reign, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord, God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule. By the way, the vestibule, Henry, is foyer. Isn't that cool in the Bible? <laughs> but, but they put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he had given them up to trouble, to desolation and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. 
For indeed, because of this, our, te- our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters, our wives are in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. You know, there's a lot of lessons when you read the Bible. One of them I I pray that we kind of come away with is uh, just to let the Lord be our strength. To let the Lord be our strength. Man, with the Lord you can tame the tongue, which otherwise you can't. You know, let the Lord be your strength. That was Hezekiah. Secondly, trust Him. No matter what you're going through, trust Him. Trust and obey. And then number three, I I pray there would be an urgency in your heart. Look what it says in verse three again. In the first year of his reign, in the first month. I mean, Hezekiah, he doesn't waste any time, huh? There's an urgency in his heart. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I'll get right with the Lord tomorrow. You know, tomorrow might not come. Today's the day. You're going to see today at the end of service, my prayer is that we'll have an opportunity to, to get right with the Lord, to take a step of faith, that there would be an urgency today, right here, right now, as the Spirit is moving amongst us. That's where Hezekiah was. First month, first year, boom. He opens the doors to the temple. And reforms were set in motion in that very first year. And it's so cool what God had done. Now it's interesting, in verse 3, he opened the doors. If you go back to chapter 28, verse 24, look what it says that his father had done. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God. He cut in pieces the articles of the house of God. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. It was a terrible thing that was going on when Ahaz was was reigning And uh, in our country today, things don't look good. In one sense, from a spiritual perspective, it's almost like they're trying to shut those doors. You know, but don't let that discourage you. Because as I mentioned last week, a revival was coming. Who knows, wouldn't that be cool if there was a revival in our nation? You know, not only that, but what about your own life? Well, Manny, my, my doors have been shut. My heart has been shut. My heart has been hard. I have not been doing good with the Lord. I haven't been in prayer. I haven't been in the Word. I haven't really been hungry for God. That was yesterday. What about today? What about right here? What about right now? That's why we're here. It's not a 12-step. A it's a one-step. But it has to come from the heart. And right here, Hezekiah, there was an urgency. First month, first year, boom. Man, he starts opening up doors. And God starts doing a work. You know, it's interesting. As we're going to go through the next three chapters, we're going to see the details of his reform. A lot of details about it. And it's, uh, it's so cool, you know, when you read it here in Chronicles. But if you go to Second Kings, we're going to see that he devotes only one verse to the reforms. Um, as, as a matter of fact, if you read in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, it says he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. And so in Kings, it's only one verse. In Chronicles, which we know is from a priestly perspective, 
There's three chapters involved. And what does he do? It's so cool to read the, the, the synopsis of the message is there in verse 5. He said to them, hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. What it is, is a message of sanctification. And I don't know if you guys can hear that, but let me just repeat it. It's a message of sanctification. Set apart. You're set apart. You're, as a Christian, you're set apart from the world and the ways of the world and the mentality of the world, the agenda of the world, the goals of the world, the desires of the world. What he's trying to do is that you guys got to sanctify yourselves and you got to sanctify this temple. And what you have to do is you have to take out the rubbish. You know, imagine what your, your house would be like, because I know this is kind of a, a thing that we go through at our house every day. What would it be like if you never took out the trash? Just out of curiosity. Imagine that. Imagine that, you know, like they lock the doors and you're going through and whatever, you're unpeeling your banana peels and I bet you you, you probably slip on a few of those things or, you know, you, whatever it might, what if you never took a bath? Just out of curiosity. I know some of you haven't taken a bath in a while, shower. You know, but what would it be like? I mean, it's crazy, you know, to think of that some people in their spiritual life, they never take out the trash, the garbage, the the. The, the rottenness that it stays, the, the dirtiness, the filthiness, the stench. They never, they never take out the trash. And that's exactly what God calls us to do. You know, we have to, we have to cleanse ourselves. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 21, it says, Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He says, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, there it is, you go in, you take a shower. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. There's that word, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You guys, if there's anything in your life, if there's anything in my life that's not right, anything that's sin, that the Holy Spirit's putting His finger on, He says, I don't want you to do that anymore, then I want to encourage you guys to repent, to forsake it, that you might sanctify yourself, that you might prove yourself. Are you really a Christian? That's what he says right there. In a great house, there's vessels for honor. There's also vessels for dishonor. And really the context is saying that in church, in church, in buildings and assemblies like this, there are some vessels here for honor, some for dishonor. Some know the Lord, some don't know the Lord. The way that you prove whether or not you really know the Lord is a changed life. And, you know, you, by that aggressive surrender and cooperation with the Holy Spirit, you actually cleanse yourself. And you become a vessel for honor. And the more you surrender to the Lord and, you know, you believe in Him, then what ends up happening is He says right there, you actually become useful in the hands of God. You see, God, what will do is He'll take His Word and the Spirit of God will then conform us into the image of God, more and more like the Son of God. 
Uh, remember Jesus' prayer in John 17, 17? He says, sanctify them by your truth. There's that word sanctify again. Your word is truth. You know, it's so cool. I was talking to a young adult uh, guy today, and it's so cool what the Lord's doing in his life. And uh, he was uh, saying, you know what, well, how do you put Jesus first? Like I know, um, you know, he's just talking about he was in a band and, and the band was, was saying, well, this is what we ask of you. You know, not that you're a good musician, you know, not that you have a certain look, not that, you know, whatever the world might. This is all we ask of you, that you put the Lord first. And so he was asking me, well, I think I know what that means, but what does that mean? And, and I said, well, it's, you know, it's about, about being in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and having that personal, intimate relationship with him. But at the end of the day, it's wanting, it's longing, it's a heart to please him. I want to please him. And the way that you're going to please him is by knowing his will and doing it. And the way that you'll know the will of God is by a sensitivity to the word of God. And by the spirit of God, you just obey. See, that's cleansing yourself. That's sanctification. You know, and it's a lifelong process. I don't know about you, but there are things in my life. You know, I, I don't want to like give, give you my personal convictions, but I, I'll, I'll just give you one of them, okay? And then if you don't like it, you can erase it. You can even get the spiritual eraser and erase it, okay? But in, sometimes too much television. Too much television. You know, and, and we don't watch bad things. Like, you know, we don't watch some of the things you guys watch. No, I'm just joking. We, you know, <laughs> You know, but it's like, you know, how many uh, man versus food, you know, episodes can you watch, you know? And the, and the Lord is just saying, why don't you read your Bible? Or why don't you pray? Or why don't you, you know, study? Or, or whatever the case may be, you know? And, and this little by little, God just starts chipping away at things, you know, in our life. And he just, man, he's just moving us to that place. I mean, believe it or not, uh, and I know this sounds kind of silly, but... Mowing the grass, mowing the lawn, um, washing the dishes. I mean, you know, emptying the trash. I did talk about that, but that's a real thing. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, well, you know, you need to do some weeding or you need to pull that plant out that your wife doesn't like anymore. And that, those are spiritual things, whether you want to believe it or not. Painting the room. All I know is that there's a voice that I hear in my life as a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit, and He's speaking to me. And the sanctification process is when I listen to that voice. Whatever it might be, whether it's turning off the television, whether it's mowing the lawn or taking out the trash, washing the dishes, or getting on my face and praying and fasting, the Lord will show you. But, you know, before you can put on the new man, you've got to put off, you know, the old man. And that's what they're doing here in the sanctification. He just says, you guys got to take out all the rubbish. That temple had been neglected for so long and so much chaos had taken place, according to the previous king, that they had to go in there and they had to really clean house. And so, you know, the reason for the sanctification, he gives a big old long explanation of why they were a people who had been disciplined, depleted, and defeated. And the reason is there. 
he says that they had, in verse 6, notice again, for our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him. And so maybe you're here today and, and in one sense you can describe your life as a life that's been disciplined or you've been depleted or you've been defeated, you know, and, and you know, you're wondering why, why aren't things, you know, really what they should be and why is it that I'm experiencing, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of like feel like something's missing and, and, and then the Lord is just saying, you know, the reason is because you're not all in. And I want you to be all in. And I want you to know this. And no matter what sin you've committed, I can, I can forgive you. And no matter what, and even though I know you tried it before, he said, I know, I want you to know that I can forgive you and that we can start all over again. You guys know how it is with a, with a new relationship? You guys how some husbands and wives, you remember how it was in the beginning? You remember the butterflies in your stomach? Remember the way you could talk on the phone for three hours? I don't know, just the excitement, the beauty of it. They call it a honeymoon period, but they say, ah, that won't last. And wives would argue with that because they want the husbands to continue to be romantic, right? But a lot of times husbands aren't because a lot of times what ends up happening is we you know, kind of take things for granted and then, and then move on to the next thing, whatever we have to conquer. And God is just saying, no, I don't want you to leave your first love. I don't want you to leave your first love the way that it began, the beautiful way that it began. I want it to grow. And so what do we need to do? We need to cleanse house. This is why we suffer the way that we do. And so what ends up happening? He gives them the explanation and he tells them, this is why all this stuff is happening. People are making fun of us. The wrath of the Lord fell on us there in verse 8. And I know that a lot of times for us as Christians, you look at your life. And, and, and I, and I want to encourage you guys, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Are you experiencing any discipline from the Lord at all? You know, are you? And there are some of you here, you're like, well, no, no, I'm... I'm I'm perfect. Really? You're not experiencing any discipline? God's not dealing with you in any way at all? I think if we're honest, a lot of what we're experiencing is the fruit of our disobedience. A lot of what we're going through is because God is disciplining us. And so what I'm encouraging you to do tonight is to find out what those things are. This is the explanation, and so that you can get right. God wants to give you victory more than you would ever even begin to imagine. You know what he'll do? You know what he'll do? He will put things into your heart. That's what it says there in verse 10. Look what Hezekiah said. Now it is in my heart to make a new covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. You know, it's, it's a matter of the heart. You know, I always tell you guys, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. How is your heart right now? Imagine if we could take, um, what are those uh, exams called when they can look at your heart and all the valves and all that kind of stuff? Some of you guys got clogged arteries, huh? You've been eating chorizo all your life, man. And then you go home and you have quesadillas. And, and, you know, that's, that's the physical heart, right? And we could see it 
We could take whatever that type of uh, test is. But how is your heart spiritually? Seriously, man. Seriously, how's your heart? Are you here today and you're hardened and, and you're gone and your heart is dead? You know, Jesus said, these people, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are, are far from me. You know, in the parable of the sower and the seed, it was the same seed that was going out, but it was just a matter of what type of heart did the seed fall on? And when the, when the seed fell, you know, by the wayside, of course, the birds came and, and they ate it. And then, you know, when the seed fell on shallow ground, they got excited for a while. But then when the sun came and scorched it, trials and tribulations, it withered away. And then the, the seed fell among the thorns and, you know, it grew, but it didn't really produce fruit because it was choked by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, right? But then when the seed fell on good ground, on the good heart, the soft soil, then it said it, it produced fruit even a hundredfold. And so all I'm saying, you guys, is uh, I know this is church, and I know that, you know, you're like, well, I want to, I don't know, it's my religious duty on Thursdays, and, and I don't really like, you know, what he's sharing tonight, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But right now, at this juncture of the service, I want you to examine your heart. Is your heart right with the Lord? Let it be right. Just say, Lord, make my heart soft. Lord, help me to be open to your Holy Spirit. Lord, I can't do this on my own strength. I need your truth, your word, your love to come into me and to change me. Because then God will put things into your heart. And then you'll enter in, like it says right there, into a, a new covenant. You know, it really is a matter of the heart. Uh, Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart or protect your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. You know, it actually begins, I think, with a broken heart. You know, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. Why was Nehemiah sad? If you guys had to answer that question, why was he sad? Why was he sorrowful? And the answer is because there was craziness going on in his country. And he saw all the people that were, you know, struggling and the walls of God had been broken down. And it really hit home. How about you? Seriously, man, are you a minister? Are you a servant? Are you part of the church? Are you making yourself available to make a difference? Or you want to go live your own life? You want to go live your own life? Half in? No, look around. You know, Henry was mentioning that this Saturday, they're going to go out and they're going to share Jesus Christ on the streets. Why won't you go? What do you have to do that's more important than helping people hear the word of God and hear about Jesus? You know, I don't know. You know, my, my encouragement to you is let the, the lost souls that are dying and go to hell, let it break your heart or even your own, you know, dilemma, predicament. Let it break your heart. Because when that happens, Nehemiah had a broken heart, 
But later on, God did such a great work that we read later in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, that God put something in his heart to rebuild the walls. You know, my encouragement to you guys uh, tonight is to allow the Lord to do that work, you know, that, that you know, your heart would be right, that, that God would work, you know. I mean, you hear things about, you know, the Lord being your strength and, and, you know, trusting in the Lord and, you know, letting there be an urgency, not waiting until tomorrow, but, but doing it today and, and sanctifying yourself and, and taking out the trash and, you know, understanding, well, this is kind of why I'm in the situation that I'm in is because God is dealing with me. And so what ends up happening is God says, I, I, just, I just want one thing. I want your heart. I want your heart. I don't want your head. I don't want your money. I don't want your, your hands. That you're going to work, 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 or your feet. You're going to go, go, go. I want your heart. My encouragement is that, is that tonight you would give him your heart. Don't hold back, you guys. We want revival. We need revival. I can't, I can't give up. I can't. This is why I'm here. I'm not, gonna, I'm, not, I'm not here to lose. I'm not here to just lay it down and say, okay, my responsibility is to present the material and then whatever they do, you know, okay, sirrah, sirrah, let them choose. No, I'm here, we're here because we want revival. We want revival in your heart, in your family, in the ministry, in this city, in this nation, and in this world. But we're not going to stop trying until it happens or until God takes us home. But revival, it has to start within our own heart. You know, I, I, I preach to you guys, and, and sometimes you might think, well, man, he's mad at me. I love you guys, man. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I love all of you. Whether you want to believe me or not, I do. There's not a person that I don't love. You know, because I want God's best for them. Right. But but the thing is, is that as I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. I have not arrived, but I am striving. I am agonizing. I am praying. I am searching. I am hoping for a great revival. Even in my own heart. And I'll close with this. I read a story about a man. Some of you probably know him. His name is Gypsy Smith. And he's a, he was a great English evangelist. Uh, and, 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 and someone came up and asked this man, how do you have revival? How do you have revival? And, and Gypsy Smith, he said, you know, well, do you have a place where you can pray? And the man said, yes, I do have a place where I can pray. And so... He said, tell you what to do. You go to that place. Go to that place where you can pray and, and take a piece of chalk along with you and kneel down and then with the chalk, draw a complete circle all around you. All around you. And then you pray for God to send revival on everything inside of the circle. And then you stay there until he answers and then you'll have
We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.